0: Good morning. good morning, welcome to Warehouse, good to have you all here, and still coming, good to have you here this morning, if you've got questions about Warehouse, about anything we talk about, anything that happens today during the service and you want more information, that's why those cards are nearby you, they say stake in the ground, and you can pick one of them up, at any time during the service, jot whatever questions you have, information, how you'd like us to contact you, and then uh, we'll get a hold of you. And in, in later on during the service, we'll have an offering, and you can drop the card in that in that uh, basket, or by that door and by the coffee room exit, there is a yellow box hanging in the wall. You can drop the card in there. Today, we start a new series, three-week series, series, not series, series called Stake in the Ground, and I'm going to talk about three things I'm really sure about, and they're not necessarily the three most important things I would say but there three things i think are really important and the longer i go the more important it is to me to grasp on to hold on to things that are crucial and unshakable for me and that i want to base how i live my life before god on today is one of those it may as we get into it sound like you're surprised that i would use this as one of three stakes i'm going to put in the ground in the next 3 weeks and At at core of it is simply this all people are equal gee isn't that stunning and yet the ramifications that are profound and often untested and untried particularly within the church and so I'm going to talk very specifically about what that looks like for us to be people who see one another as absolutely equal in the sight of God and the compelling overarching message that is throughout all the bible and and as we begin to approach that topic today uh, the band is going to play a song which fits i think one of those simple truths about life that often doesn't happen that we're all in it together and at the core of christianity is loving god and loving others and it's people walking arm in arm down a path together welcome to warehouse I was uh, sure of more things when i was younger i was also a lot more wrong than when i was younger because i was sure of more things um I, I, you know when i f- when i was ordained i was 25 which was 27 years ago and to be ordained in the denomination i'm in i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm just saying this is a reality you've got to check off on a whole series of things that you say you believe and and I did, and I did for lots of reasons. One, because I can be expedient, shocking. And so sometimes just doing the simplest, easiest thing and not getting into it was the easiest way to go. Sure. As I've looked back at it over the years, there's a, there's a lot of things I would have said, no, not, not sure about that at all. Not, not disagreeing necessarily, but not sure about that at all. It's an open question. One I think it's not worth fighting over and one which I'm fully comfortable with people believing all sorts of things on. I think this is a strength, not a weakness, because what's happened for me in recent years is that while things have sloughed off, core things have gotten stronger. I've let go of beliefs that I thought were so important and realized not only were they not, but I have no idea. And clamped down tighter on a smaller number of things that I'm absolutely convinced of that I can base my life on. The next three weeks are three of those things. One of them, today, I, and I really like that that song. It's really interesting. The band worried whether or not it really fit my talk. I really like that song. And that, that one line, when you cry, taste the salt in your tears, it it pictures to me that idea of, of walking through life together with one another and, and, and in, in a certain sense, carrying each other's burdens. It, it reminds me of the poem by john dunn no man is an island unto himself but each is a part of the whole a part of the main don't ask whom the bell tolls it tolls for you we're all in this together but the truth is that's not often the way it goes let's be honest human history is history not of us all being in it together but of us us dividing and dividing over things that sometimes are obviously silly or ruthless and dividing over other things that, oh, sound so right, but they cause us to divide and to separate and delineate. And I think Michel, Michel Foucault, the French historian, was right. We, the history of society uh, can be seen as the right and the other, as certain people having power, and, and maybe not meanly, but certainly justifying their power, and always there's the other, those who don't have power. Unfortunately, As I look at the history of the church, it's been one that's promoted that regressive view of life, the right and the other. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, why not? The church is not at the forefront culturally very often, as Copernicus made this stunning claim, really, that the earth was not the center of the universe. And they wanted to kill him because they were absolutely sure, we were so sure that that couldn't be the case, that clearly the Bible taught that the earth was flat and that it was at the center of the universe. Just one of those examples of us clinging so hard to something that is incredibly wrong and willing to separate and divide over it. The church largely was not at the forefront of the civil rights movement. Behind. Using passages like one I'm going to show today to show why slavery really wasn't such a bad thing. And today, what I would talk about is this the church has been behind the curve in the role of men and women. We're equal in the sight of God, and more than equal, we're intended to fulfill equal roles, not divided not different. And for far too long the church has not believed that or taught that. And today as we walk into that you might be saying, seriously, this is one of the big three you're going to talk about? My guess, just a shot in the dark, my guess if you're thinking that is you're a man. 1965 and I'm standing up here and saying that one of the big three stakes I want to talk about is that black and white are equal. And you're saying, okay, I, yeah, I kind of get that. But why one of the big three? My guess is you were not African-American. <laughs> because for that person, it would have been a really big deal, you know, to be treated equally. You see, humanity is created. I'm convinced, and I'll walk through a number of passages with you today. Humanity is created, I'm convinced, with a stunning dignity. Yes, sometimes it's pretty veiled but we're created with a stunning dignity by how we are made. And we have choices as we walk through life. God says it's as simple as this. This is how you live. Love God, love others. We have choices as we walk through life to build up the dignity of people and to make them more free or subtly and sometimes with spiritual backing to hem them in, stamp on their dignity, and make them less free. I'm here to say I think more free is better, and it's at the heart of what God is trying to do within us. So, let me start by doing this. I'm going to look at a passage now, which is one of the passages that people look at and say, look, I know men and women are created equal, but <laughs> they're supposed to act a little differently. You know, different, different roles and all that sort of stuff, which... You know, seriously, you, when you think about that, okay, men and women are created equal, they just have different roles, and the men get the better roles. But really, it's only going to last, well, until you die. It, just until then, just until then, the men will get the better roles. Hey, it's not me, it's God saying it. Like right here, I'm going to read it to you. Here, here we go, ready? Now, this is a passage where in our last series on Colossians, we skipped this one unintentionally. Really? And you're thinking, really unintentionally? Yes, here, I'm looking at it right now, so clearly unintentionally. However, when my foot, when I thought, you know, I had this optimism that two days after my surgery I was going to be up here speaking, didn't happen. And we plan out our services with music and all sorts of stuff, and so when we miss a week like that, we kind of got to go on to the next week. Otherwise, it messes everything up. So I said, well, okay, we'll skip that one. I'm going to come back to it anyway. Here's what it says. This is Colossians 3. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Raises the question, why would we be? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, so they will not become disheartened. Mothers apparently didn't have to do anything there. But you look at that and you go, okay, here we go. Here's a passage, and this just teaches how the family's supposed to go. Wives submit just in everything. Husbands, love your wife, and don't be bitter. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking if I have another person who submits to me in everything, I'm wondering what I have to be bitter about. But nonetheless, it, you know, it's, just, it's a, a cur- sort of a hard teaching. Wish it wasn't there, really, but sort of a hard teaching. But wait, there's more. The next verse. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in every respect? not only when they are watching, like those who are strictly people peers, but with a sincere heart fearing the Lord. Uh, Okay, wait. So what I got here is wives submit, children obey everything, and slaves obey your masters, whether they're watching or not. In another place, it says whether they treat you harshly. Now, on the relative scale, a master treating their slave harshly is pretty extreme. So, if your master slave treats you harshly, you know, buck up and be good. I'm th- I'm sensing there's a there's a hint here that maybe this doesn't apply for all time. Now, why would I think that? Let's just do a quick show of hands who's all for slavery. Okay, well okay, maybe ask a different question. How many of you think God is all for slavery? Why not? Says it right there and just with all those other words, why not? Because we understand something almost intuitively. One, we sense and then we look in the Bible and we realize that's not at all in keeping with the teaching of the Bible as a whole. And so we begin to wonder, wait, is this, is that thing about the slaves, just the slaves, is that maybe cultural? Well, yeah, I mean, it's the time. Now, I've heard people argue, well, you know, what he's saying there is that slavery wasn't nearly as bad then as what we're used to. You know, let's not go there, okay? Selling people is not good. I mean, I, th- I think you all just, we can disagree with that, right? Selling people is not good, and I think even worse, being bought as a person is not a good thing, right? Being someone's property isn't great. We sense that maybe there's something amiss here. Maybe this is a cultural element, and, and then we see this letter in the New Testament that's written to a guy named Philemon, who's a, who's a slave owner. And, and in the letter, it, it, the, Paul writes him and says, You know what? You might want to rethink the whole slave master thing. And why don't you see Onesimus, Why don't you see him not as a slave, but as a brother? Let him go. Now, this was radical teaching in that culture, radical teaching. And so we can look at that and we go, Okay, you know, it's about, it's, ab- it's written in context. Everything's written in context, right? I mean, I speak in context. I speak, last, last service I said, I speak in context. It's 2011. And it was like, okay, you probably need to know your context better because it's 2012, (laughs) but only two months in, right? Not even, a month and a half. It's written in context, and there was slavery going on, and and maybe Paul's just trying to keep the slaves from getting killed, and he's trying to tell them, in the role that you have in society, which sometimes you can't do anything about, you need to see your life before God. I get that. Same thing with men and women. I'm going to read you another passage, though. It's a little more little stronger and has no slave element to it. And that's in First Timothy. Chapter two it says this. It has a first a little passage about how women should dress and stuff. And then it says A woman in verse two eleven chapter two verse eleven, a woman must learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She must remain quiet. Women, quiet. You're laughing. That's not quiet. You need to learn an absolute submissiveness. Right there, quiet. Mm -mm. Preemptive. None of you believe that. So what do we do? What is it we do? We go, mm, verbal gymnastics, try to get around it. You don't have to. Here's the good news. You don't have to. Here's why it's written. The Bible is a book written in, to- in its time, in its culture. In that culture, in that time, the idea, the very idea of a woman teaching was scandalous. You know why? A woman's word was worthless. Worthless. They were property. They had no authority whatsoever. And so the scandal, the devastation of a message going out of an organization who was putting people who had no authority to speak forward was destined to fail. And so it has this passage where Paul is writing in a specific time to churches and saying, look, you you can't do this. If you do this because it was starting to happen, it's going to destroy the message going forward. But there's a clue that this is not for all time the whole slavery thing. That clue makes us look a little farther, which is what we're going to do now. I'm going to start at the beginning. I'm going to walk through the Bible, not the entire thing. That would take, you know, some time. But a few places, because I want you to see something and see a culmination. In Genesis 1, verse 27, way back in the beginning, that's the first chapter of the Bible. And God is is having us see in a a poetic fashion the creation of the universe. Not Not a scientific chapter. It's a chapter about God's creation of humanity. That's all what it focuses on. It's not not about how the universe works. It's about God's creation of humanity. And this is what it says. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It uses a bit of redundancy. His image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's like, okay, before the cultural bias, before we have oppression, before we have... Man against man, man against woman, black against white. Before we have any of this, let me just say up front who human beings are. They are created in the image of God, male and female. It's all we got. We got male and female, equally, no division, created to be like God. What does it mean to be in the image of God? It means to have freedom. It means to have power. It means to have authority. It means to have beauty. So this is where God starts. And then, if I fast forward to the New Testament, I look at the life of Jesus, and I see a stunning life that's often hard to pick up for us exactly how radical it is. Jesus comes into a world that's heavily patriarchal. And in the midst of that world where there are lepers, outcasts, and women, all sort of in the same category. He continually reaches out to them why is he just has a bleeding heart and he feels bad for people no because jesus came to restore the dignity of humanity to make them whole again to end the brokenness to make them right with god so that they are free finally fully free again and so whenever he saw people whose lives were systematically oppressed crushed and their dignity stamped on that's who he went to And so he sees the lepers, and people go, I can't go, you know, i got to stay from the lepers. And he walks over to them, and he touches them. And then he sees a paralytic who can't move, and he goes over, and he touches him. And then he goes to the tax collectors, which quite honestly in that society were almost at the very bottom. They were just below lepers. And he goes to their house. And then, in a stunning move, a band of followers surrounds him. And a great number of them are women. Now, this is just not heard of. You just don't do this. In that culture, the idea of a rabbi, a leader, a teacher having women followers was just unheard of. This is craziness, Jesus. You can't do this. Jesus has women in the forefront. And then, when he rises from the dead, this is a big moment, by the way, the whole resurrection thing. Big moment. Is he dead? Is he alive? He's alive. Big moment. And so, got to get the word out. And so, who is the very first witness recorded that sees him after he rises from the dead? A woman. Now, seriously, this is just a strategic marketing mistake. I, did I, I, I think I told you, right? A woman's word is worthless in that culture. Worthless. Her testimony did not count. On the testimony of two men, it shall be established. On the testimony of a thousand women, it's nothing. Worthless. That's who Jesus picks and has recorded as the one who's the first to believe, to go tell the men who didn't. We look at that and we go, well, she was just the first one there. I mean, it's just a story. Because we live in 21st century America, and we forget that that would have been craziness to record that. Somebody should have looked at that and said, redact, change that, get that bad boy out of there, that's a problem. People are going to read that and they're going to go, he's got a woman who's his chief witness. Expunge it from the record. It remains. Because Jesus is sending us a counterculturally subversive message, which is no, no, you're wrong. Women's voice is equal, it matters. I choose her to be my witness. You see, this is what we miss. We look at the Bible and we see its picture of culture, of men, women, of slaves, and we think that that right there, that picture at that time that was saying, for all time, this is how it is. And we miss that it was pushing so hard against the current culture. That current culture was so much less liberated than what Jesus was presenting a patriarchal culture who saw a woman as worthless property. And Jesus is presenting this picture that was stunningly radical. He was a social radical calling for liberation in a society where that was not warranted or wanted. And then there is this passage. It's actually twice. In Galatians chapter 3, for in Jesus Christ, you're all sons of God. Now, I've got to stop there. All sons of God. What, you no daughters? Well, we always, we mean sons and daughters, right? It's just the culture. It's how things were written. It was a patriarchal society. It's how things were written. If we were to translate that based upon its context, for in Jesus Christ, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Well, maybe that's just a one-off. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, citizen, slave, or free, but Christ is all in and all. He's like, the divisions are wrong, people. Prejudice is wrong. Racism is wrong. Sexism is wrong. You're equal in the sight of God. I'm writing in the midst of culture. I'm trying to show you that hurt. I'm trying to show you a different way, a better way, in the midst of a culture that's very repressive, to open up for you to see at the core, in the beginning, male and female creating in the image of God. In the end, in Christ, there is no male or female. We are one, we are equal. Jesus walked into a world and he preached an incredibly radical message. One, people mattered. Two, God was willing to redeem them. Three, our divisions are off. Seriously, why did Jesus come to earth? He come to, came to earth because regardless of what you believe about yourself, regardless of what somebody else has told you, regardless of what tapes run in your head, he thought you were worth it to die for. Male? Female? Black? White? Child? Child? Elderly, (coughs) there's neither male nor female. In the sight of God, there are individuals created in his image who are deeply flawed and deeply broken and need redemption and need to know that there's a God who made them for himself and who draws them back and then seeks to see us liberated, freed from the shackles that are self-created or created by somebody else and finally discover who we are, Fully in him and then he sees the church as people who band together, who walk alongside one another and they fight against every instance where they see the image of God being diminished and pushed down, they fight against every instance where people are individually or systemically reduced because that's not how he created us I mean, I know why we got here. There's probably lots of reasons. One of them is, and the good side, sometimes we're, you know, we're, we, we are cautious. You know, we're worried about getting off track. And, and so we've worried about precision, being technically precise. We've wanted to remain true and faithful and And yet, it's caused us to miss the larger issues. One is that Christianity was never about technical precision, it was always about freedom. So, what am I saying? You know, we have elders at Warehouse that are women, we also have a woman pastor. We didn't do that because we thought it was kind of cute. Let's be different. Hey, after all, we're a warehouse. Let's be different. We didn't do it because he thought it would sell better. We did it because we believe it's true. Because we believe the Bible is actually a true story of God's redemption. And we believe if we look beyond a simple look at an individual passage, we will see a bigger picture of humanity and of God and of one another. And so, I don't think there's any role difference in the church. I don't think it matters if someone's a man or a woman or black or white or whatever. Equally, they can lead and teach and have others follow them. And I think it's important for us as individuals and as a community, but let's just stick with individuals to understand a couple of things. One, you are deeply loved and forgiven. One of the things we tell kids when they get a little bit older, and I'm not saying our kids particularly, I'm saying one of the things that's is, you know, sort of an adage, you tell kids that, you know, words that you heard along the way that told you you were stupid and how damaging those are, and, you know, put those aside. And why do we tell them that? Because they hear those things all along the way. Because we live in a world where often people are chopped down, including ourselves. And one of the things that you have now, no doubt heard along the way is words seen actions that somehow communicated to you that you were not worth, well, it would be better if you were somewhere, someone else. I tell my public speaking students, and th- trust me, this goes with what I'm saying, I tell my public speaking students at some point every semester they are terrified, like you are, of standing in front of people and speaking. And I tell them every semester that one of the reasons why they're afraid is because they're convinced somewhere deep down that they don't have enough. I ask them every semester, Tell me what you're afraid of. Almost always, number one is, I'll look stupid. Why would someone worry about that? Because somewhere along the way, we become convinced that we're not enough, that something is, yes, there's something flawed in this, but we go deeper. That there's something within us that's so not right that somehow we have to put on a facade and pretend. And the stunning truth of Christianity is male, female, you are created with an inexplicable and unshakable dignity because you were made in the image of God and he seeks to raise that up and make you alive again. And some of you come in here today and you don't even believe that about yourself. And you came in thinking that Christianity was about technical precision or maybe a little self-help. And it's about the redemption that God wants for you. It's about him looking into your eyes like he looked into the eye of a leper or a tax collector or a woman and speaking to them volumes about how much they matter to him. It's about a God loving you enough to die for you, to forgive you, to end the brokenness, and to make you free. And then he calls us to come alongside one another and to walk through the world to bring freedom. And dignity back to individual human beings. To care when there's oppression. To speak words of kindness and truth when people are knocked down. To fight against regression that hurts the dignity of humanity in whatever shape it comes. This is our calling. can't love God and you can't love others well until we see each other as one. Equally made by him and for him. Well, as we come to communion today, it struck me as I, and it it often does, it, it often strikes me as I'm serving communion, which is Jesus took bread the night he was betrayed and he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you and then after supper he took a cup of wine and he said this cup is the new agreement in my blood which is shed for you the forgiveness of your sins and then when we do this on a sunday you know we gather together and you take a piece of bread and you dip it in the wine and it it strikes me often as we're holding it that you know i can feel the 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 wine going down my hands it's tangible and it strikes me that what Jesus wanted me to get was that this is true. As real as this bread in your hand, so real is it that I came for you and died for you. Forgiveness is real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. Take this bread, ingest it, and know that I'm always with you and for you. Now join me in liberating the world around you. So if you come today and you are someone who is a follower of Jesus. You don't have to have technical perfection. All you have to do is have made a decision that you want to be forgiven, be loved by him and seek to follow him. Whether you're part of warehouse or not, I invite you to come join us as we do communion. If you're someone who is still exploring faith, you're just not you're not even sure what I mean by exploring faith. You're you're, you're wondering if this is true and how much of it is true. I encourage you to continue the the dialogue with yourself and with others. But don't take communion, not because you'll be you know, committing like a foul or something, because I, I think it's true that whenever there's something that's meant to be meaningful in our lives, and, and we do it out of rote or perfunctory, it, it's sort of like being inoculated. It makes us more immune to the real thing. And so I encourage you just to sit back and think and to, to pray. And, and if you're someone today who for the first time is realizing, yeah, I want this. Uh, a God who <laughs> sees us as one, who, who loves us desperately, who sees my brokenness and longs to forgive it, who wants to raise up the beauty within me, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Then I encourage you to come forward and receive communion with us because entering into relationship with Jesus is nothing more than an acknowledgement of your own fallenness and a desire for forgiveness and to walk with him. I'm going to serve the communion service if you all would come up. And as I serve them, uh, I'm going to give you a few moments where you can have your own thoughts and pray. And, and then when I'm done, they'll, they'll move out into different parts of the room. And how we do communion at warehouses is once they gather into their different stations, um, you can go and make your way to any one of those stations. They will gather you into a group of about 12. They will serve you. They will pray with you. And then you can make your way back to your seat. And now as we move into this time of response and our service, it's an opportunity for you to respond and to weigh in. We always started at Warehouse with our um, offering. And for us, it's a way to articulate a, a core concept, which is we believe it is God who sees us, who loves us, and who pursues us. And as he wakes our hearts to him, he calls us and allows us to move into the world around us and to move toward him. My wife Nan has a friend um, who's—I give too much detail. She's from a foreign country, and uh, they got to know each other through business. And uh, Nan invited her to be involved in a book club, and there's some other women at Warehouse who are in it uh, with her. And uh, like many from Europe, they have a certain picture of Christianity. It's not good, by the way. And she thought that maybe Nan was a Christian. And she saw a few things that surprised her. And one was that, like, if they'd run early in the morning, 5.30 or 6, that they'd come back, I would be getting the kids ready for school. Or if they ran in the evening around 6, she'd come in and I'd be cooking dinner. And she thought that was kind of odd because her view of what the church was and Christian women was dutiful people at home doing all the work. Now... I'm. I'm not about to say that I do more around the home, but that's not about role. It's about competence, And because Nana's more competent at most things. I have a handful of things like I could do, like I can wake up the kids. So anyway, but then she discovered, and just in conversation, that that I was a pastor. And if you've ever talked to somebody, you, if you've ever been a pastor, if you ever had the reaction of people like mm, they're visibly leaning back, and Lord, I mean the, the girl, she was just sort of you know it surprised her a little bit. It was just what she knows of Nan and what she's seen of me. And then she offered this book uh, as the next book to be read, Jack Holmes and All His Friends, which is about uh, the gay lifestyle. And Nan knows full well that for her and for many who are skeptical and have been burned, that they're watching. Will we treat everybody with dignity? Will we be open to conversation? Do we believe in freedom and love and respect for all, or will we pick and choose? It's our challenge to be the place where freedom exists. Okay, four things before you go. Number one, we have something called community socials, which are community socials. They're places where people gather together and get to know each other. Smaller than here, bigger than a small group, and it's a way for you to connect with some other people in a casual setting. And we have them periodically, and they've gone extremely well. And the next one is coming up February 25th. We've divided them different ways at different times. And this time it happens to be by stage in life. We've got 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40s and up. And there'll be three different locations. Space is limis- limited. You should register soon. And uh, you can register on our website. Just go to the community social um, link on our website, and you'll be able to do that. You'll also be seeing some of other events coming up, like a bowling night and Crowder's Mountain, which are not connected. Those are different things two events. I encourage you. It's a great way to get connected to other people around here. This is too big to get connected. It's a great way to get connected in a nice social setting. It's an amazing ministry. We're thrilled to be a part of it. I encourage you to engage in that. And finally, there is a women's retreat coming up March 30th to April 1st. I know this is warehouse. That sounds like years away. However, space is limited, and so we will be ending the registration for that on March 7th. And you can register for that online and you can also get more information on that online. But retreats like community socials are a great, great way for people to connect and to have an intense, concentrated time of learning and, and growth together. And again, that's how you get a hold of people and get more information about it. If you want any more information about warehouse, click on the banner of the skinny, which is on our website, or write something down in a card and the question you have and we'll get back to you. If you'd like someone to pray with you today, we'd love to do it simple way you can do that is go past that wall, first door on your right. Some people will sit with you and they'll pray with you about absolutely anything at all. Now, if you would, please stand and receive the benediction. May you walk out today knowing it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Free. Enslaved by nothing. Your life opened up to be all it was ever meant to be enslaved not by your own sin nor by the expectations of others. May you feel the power of the love of God for you today and know that he is always in you, with you, and for you because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth and he lived and he died and he rose. He rose to make you new and to launch you out into the world with a message of freedom and hope. May you know that the moment you receive that from that day and every day forward, you have the love of God your Father You have the grace of Jesus that covers over all of your sin, and you have the presence of his spirit in your life. Now go in peace.